Well, welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Sarah. I'm Erica. And I'm Steve. So friends, we are in the season of Advent. And of course, with the season of Advent means a new series. Um, So last week, we kind of just talked about the case for Advent, why we celebrate it, a little bit of history about it, uh, what we like about it. Um, So this series is going to kind of be a little all over the place, but... um, Steve, where are we taking things today? Today, we wanted to talk about the way, as a season, Advent works with and plays with our sense of time. And that maybe among all the different practices in the Christian faith, uh, Advent especially forces us to, to recognize how we use time and how Advent measures it and counts it and maybe helps us to think differently about time. So that's going to mean looking at things like even um, how the weeks are counted and how they're used, some variations across Christian history about how long this season is and how you use the different weeks depending on how many you've got of them, um, as well as this this weird thing we kind of began to stick our toes into last time about how this is a time when classically Christians have focused on two different but related ideas and events that this is a season that is about the coming of Jesus which now for us is an event 2000 years in the rear view but also about what we sometimes call the second coming or second advent or the coming again of Jesus which we have no idea how far into the future that is but it is not yet so that whole idea of the now and the not yet of Christianity this is a a season that is sort of practice for how to do that and how to do it faithfully. So that's sort of where the, 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 the territory we're hoping to, to cover. Maybe we should start first with basic standard model advent of four weeks and how that works before we get into expanded expansion packs with uh, uh, seven weeks or, or other ways of looking at it. What, 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 should, what should we start out with? How, how, how do people use or how do church traditions use a season of four weeks? And then we can go from there. So, so to be clear, this is the four Sundays right. before before Christmas. So you always just kind of find Christmas Day, December 25th, and then you count out the four Sundays before. So if if Sunday, uh, if Christmas Day is on a Sunday, then that you know December 25th clearly doesn't count. It's the it's the four Sundays before. So sometimes, like this year. We have an extremely early Christmas or Advent, and it, it super feels that way because it was it started the sun. Wait, yeah, yeah I'm second guess. It's the Sunday, the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Like it's still mm-hmm. in November, and we have our first Advent. You know, Sunday first, yep. first Sunday of Advent is in November this year, so it feels really early. Mm-hmm. And it's probably also worth taking a quick moment back into church history to talk even about how we date Christmas, that um, maybe to somebody's surprise or shock, we don't actually necessarily believe that Jesus was born on December 25th. Um, to read what? the to read the Gospels themselves suggests it was more likely a springtime event anyhow, um, mm-hmm. if there's shepherds out at night with their flocks. Um, but that at some point, the Christian community decided it would be smart for us to have a common time that we can focus on this thing, this joyful event in our life. And 
there's some case to be made that they borrowed um, other pagan festivals and said, you know what, as as the the as the, the days start to grow longer again and it feels like the beginning of something new, that's a great point for us to plant our festival of celebrating the birth of Jesus. And then we backtrack and build around that. In some sense, it's almost arbitrary when, you know, when in the year is it, but that it's valuable for our spiritual formation. Can we take the time to focus on the birth of Jesus? Um, but it's not magic. So it's not like it has to really be on December 25th. And if it turns out when we get to glory, Jesus is actually born in June. Uh-oh, the faith falls apart. No, this is, this is a helpful structure, but let's not pretend that everything hangs on Jesus mm-hmm. actually having been born on December 25th. Um, but once you've got that date, the season of Advent backs up from that. Um, and that, that it's, it's that, uh, that Christmas is the center and, uh, Advent backs up from it and then Epiphany goes out forward the other direction, kind of similar to how the center of our other great season at Holy Week, when we talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus, Lent moves backwards from that and then Eastertide moves forward from that, but the center is cross and resurrection. I, I, th- I think it's really helpful too, just to think about time that way, about things that are centered and then how you prelude into them and how you live out of them. That's a different way of thinking about time than our culture's used to too. Okay, so I have a quick clarifying question for when the start of Advent is. So the first Sunday is, you know, the first Sunday of Advent. As a preacher, my week always starts on a Monday and like Monday starts preparing for Sunday. So is the Monday before the first Sunday of Advent considered Advent or (laughs) is that Sunday the first day of Advent? Like, does that question make sense? And if it does make sense, do you have a good answer? Um, I've got a practical answer and a liturgical answer, and I'm not real <laughs> confident in either of them because I'm not terribly liturgically minded. I would say as far as the, 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 the church's liturgical mind is, Advent starts on that Sunday, but your altar guilds are going to be putting things out beforehand. And so you're getting ready and the preacher's getting ready for it. So it's almost like a very small select group of people in church life, the pastor, the (laughs) altar guild, people like that have a pre advent season that is preparation for the preparation season. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, basically it's the the season starts with the four Sundays beforehand that it starts on a Sunday. I mean, kind of like when we start, uh, the season of Lent and Ash Wednesday traditionally begins that there's a, you know, some fuss about the day before is fat Tuesday and use up all the grease and, you know, make pancakes or have sausage or something like that and splurge one last time and go to Mardi Gras. But every preacher I know is also thinking about, Oh man, I got to burn ashes. And I got like all the things you got to do to get ready for Lent Mm -hmm. that there's, we're sort of doing a pre penitent season before Lent anyway. But yeah, for most okay. most people, just that first Sunday, I'd say. All right. But even with that, even with marking out four Sundays before, there's been a, I guess I'd say tradition without making it like a rule, that often that's been split up into a certain amount of time focused on the second coming of Jesus, and that often that gets bound up with like the kind of apocalyptic stuff we get late in the Gospels, uh, and then the the characters and figures and events that lead us toward the the birth and Bethlehem story. Uh, so kind of we talked last time about how Advent is great in that it gives us both of those, or it's frustrating because it gives us both of those, but that for a lot of centuries, the, the season was, was kind of used in two, two movements, that there is 
uh, end of the world stuff. Uh, and then there was the getting us to Bethlehem stuff. And we should probably also note, there are some folks, and again, it's worth saying these are traditions, nothing is commanded in any of the biblical books. There are different ways of using even the, the candles that get lit you know, each Sunday. There's, there's some traditions that go, well, one is the love candle, and one is the peace candle, and one is the hope candle, and one is the joy candle. Wait, we need to back up. Yeah. These are the candles in the Advent wreath. Right. Okay. Yeah. Back up. Because lots of different churches have different traditions of there's altar candles that you only light for communion. There are the candelabras, which you bring out for the festival (laughs) seasons or days. Uh, No, this is the Advent wreath. Right. Which is a wreath that's not hanging on the wall or a door. So is it really a wreath? But it's like circle of greens with candles in it (laughs) right Uh, and sometimes it's around the paschal candles sometimes it's on the altar sometimes it's on um chains which you can lower and raise above the pulpit which always seemed really dangerous to me but i've experienced that um so it is a wreath with the four candles right for each Mm -hmm. sunday of advent and so like on the first Sunday of Advent, you light one. And then the next Sunday, you'll light two. And it's kind of a nice visual way to kind of mark time of saying, yes, this is where we are in our Advent season. This is how much further we have to go. And and, and so, I, so that's the candles. Yeah. And I'm glad you, you mentioned that, that like this is sort of a visual cue without having to have somebody stop in the middle of a Sunday worship service and explain every Sunday. The, the, the visual is kind of meant to communicate that the, the sort of the growing of the light and then we're moving somewhere, but we're not there yet. And, and I, I think it's helpful just to recognize how much of Christian history has used symbols and images as teaching tools, because for so much of Christian history, people, you couldn't count on everybody can read it in a book, or that even if they read it, would they understand it? I mean, the same way that stained glass windows were developed as ways of teaching Bible stories to people who couldn't read or didn't have access to a Bible, and illuminated manuscripts kind of did the same thing where there's pictures or illustrations, that a lot of the church's, uh, you know, pageantry or symbolism or imagery, no, nobody when it was invented thought, this will impress God. God needs it to be done, but saw these as teaching tools. This helps us to understand something. And, and according to church legend, I don't have any sources to cite this, but this is what I've always been told is that the Advent wreath was invented by a school teacher who was tired of every day in December, his students asking how many days until Christmas. <laughs> and so he took a wagon wheel laid it on its side on his desk and he put a candle for each day of the week. So the weekdays were white and then the Sundays were red. And then that way at the beginning of the school day, he could light the candles and go, this is where we are in the month. This is how many more days there is until Christmas. And so it wasn't even a church thing. It was a school teacher just getting really fed up with, six-year-olds going how many days until christmas so that that is that is the origins of the advent wreath the the church then took it and was all like hey we're not here during the week so we're going to get rid of white (laughs) candles and we're going to just stick with the four sunday candles and that probably also gives a connection to where the 
open a door for every day in Advent tradition. Like, you know, there's, there's all those great, you know, calendars with chocolate or cheese or Legos or things like that that you can get. Um, and again, it's, it's that idea of counting down or you're building up towards something, um, which again, sort of gets at the idea of we're waiting and our, our sense of, can we learn to delay gratification? Can we learn to live in the tension of we're not there yet, uh, but something has begun? But on the other hand, I guess it, it, it almost runs the risk of teaching the wrong kind of waiting in my mind, which is to say, um, there are parts of Christian waiting that we don't have any clue how long we're supposed to be waiting for. It's that sort of, you should be ready any moment. It could be a long haul or a short one. And there's, there's parts of Advent that I wish would feel more like being on call that like, who knows when it's going to happen. It could be at any moment. Christmas might break out. Who knows that while it would be impossible to plan or schedule for that feels a little more like the soul work that needs to happen in this season mm -hmm. of living all of our lives in that tension of Jesus could come before the end of this sentence, or it could be before, you know, after our great, great grandchildren have all grown old as well. Um, and how do we live our lives knowing that the waiting could be short or long, what will you do with your day and your life with whatever you've got? That feels an important exercise for our spirits and souls and the regularity of, you can count, it's always 25 days on the, we've got one that's, that's um, little pockets on a gnome that we get it out in our, in our living room at our house, which has nothing to do with Jesus. And it only ever starts on the first day of December too. But like that teaches a certain, okay, you can always count on it to come on a certain day, and there's something helpful about that, but I almost wish there was some way I could shape in our spiritual formation that like suddenness, the on-callness of, of Christ's mm -hmm. coming. I just don't know what that would look like. I, I had a professor in seminary and I can't remember who it was. It might've been Mark Allen Powell, um, who you also had, Steve. Yes. Who would remind us that if we are praying for Jesus to come again, and we are hoping and expecting Jesus to come again. Every time that we pray, come Jesus, come, we should pause for a moment and look towards the door because we really should expect mm -hmm. that Jesus could be coming through the door at that time. Yeah, he, I remember him used to, to his, his variation on when I had him was that, um, uh, in the in the in the communion prayer in the liturgy, Amen, come Lord Jesus. He would look out the window rather than up at the altar at that moment. Um, and there's something lovely. I mean, a, a little a little bit tongue in cheek because, in a sense, that's also a moment where we're taught, recognizing Jesus' presence at the table with us too. So there's sort of a well, you could also look up front where he is. Um, yeah. And he always used to stop himself and go, "Why do I assume that when Jesus comes, I'm going to be the first one to spot him? That he's going to be coming to North America?" Um, but like, there is something good about that posture. About how do we how do we create in our spirituality a sense that um, we need to be prepared either both for the long haul of living our whole lives out as people of faith, and also ready for I'm ready for Jesus to come in the clouds apart at any moment, and I will have lived my life well and faithfully with 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 this amount of time too. And that that tension is difficult, um, but it to me feels like that's part of what this season is about too. I wonder if we could give a nod and maybe Sarah, as the closest thing to a resident expert we have, you could, you could tell us about a phenomenon that is about Advent, but is not simply four weeks, but there is a tradition, even if it's a thinner tradition in Christian history of an Advent that is longer and fuller. Yeah. So uh, there is this thing that is called, some people call it long Advent. Some people call it seven week Advent. 
Um, but it is this, this idea that Advent should be longer than four weeks, but should be that seven weeks that it would be to give more emphasis to the second coming of Jesus, which our lectionary already does. Mm -hmm. Like the three weeks before Advent, if you're a lectionary preacher, you'll, you'll see that there are, you know, that that's when we get the Mark 13 of, um, and the destruction of the temple. That's when we get Christ the King, which is often very um, apocalyptic, um, but it has all of those themes already that you find as part of Advent, but these Sundays are just before Advent. And so like this idea is, no, those three Sundays, actually belong to mm -hmm. Advent. Mm -hmm. And that is what the church used to do, I believe, in like the third, fourth, and fifth centuries, like early, early Advent was longer. And so in North America, um, there is a group of churches and pastors who have joined together to create the Advent Project. Um, and they promote long Advent and they hold webinars and resources and ways to like help educate people and encourage congregations to participate in long advent um i know about it because i learned about it in seminary one of my professors was part of this seminar of north american academy of, of liturgy um and she loved it and it, my spouse who went to seminary with me um, fell in love even more with it. And he has yet to be able to convince a congregation to adopt it. He has tried in all of the places <laughs> that he has served, but so far nobody's taken him up on it. But he observed, observes it in his actual personal life um, that he treats it very similar to how he treats Lent. He fasts, he does, um, he, he pro usually changes up his um, prayer life with doing a uh, praying of the hours or something like that. Um, and he very much observes long advent as similarly to Lent. Yeah. Um, I am appreciative that you noted that these things took a while to emerge, not only from the beginning in Christian history, it wasn't like on Easter Monday, the disciples like, okay, let's invent the church here. Let's start with Advent. That took centuries and that what it's looked like has taken different forms and different lengths of time. Um, so, I mean, I, I think that helps to, to qualify all this conversation that we aren't here to say there's one right way to do Advent. If you don't match up with my way, you're going to hell, but more like there are traditions that have made this a seven week thing of preparation, others that do four, and there's different ways of focusing on it. Whether you use four candles and they each stand for a different virtue, love, peace, joy, hope, or you make them shepherd, angel, Mary, you know, okay, the, the, some of that is kind of, it doesn't exactly matter. The, the, the idea is how do we set aside a time that helps us to be focused in on, help us to, to be to live in that tension of the now and the not yet, that Jesus has come, that's good news. Jesus is coming again, that's good news. And somehow those are tied together. Um, and that we, the baby in Bethlehem is not separate from the one who makes all things new, new creation. These are somehow all bound up together. Yes. I, I guess I wonder if we might spend a little bit of time thinking about that piece too, that that idea where in our in our Christian faith, there is that, 
for lack of a better word, tension or paradox of the now or the already and the not yet. And wh- why is that important? Is it, or is that just my personal hang up that I like that idea? Are, 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 what, 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 what makes that an important piece of our faith? Why, why do we hold on to it? Where does that show up in our faith life? So I, I think it's an important tension, especially for Advent, where we celebrate both both types of Advent, right? Because Jesus being born in Bethlehem, that was a that was a type of Advent. That was a type of coming. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jesus came two thousand years ago. He was born once. Uh, we're not celebrating the fact that he's born again every December 25th, we're celebrating that he was born 2000 years ago once. Um, But we're also waiting on the advent, the coming of Jesus again, which has not yet happened to the best of my knowledge. (laughs) Um, For all I know, it happened five minutes ago. For all I know, it it happened 200 years ago and nobody paid attention or noticed (laughs) and nothing like I don't know that seems unlikely but to the best of my knowledge Jesus has not come again um but we are hopeful and so we live in that tension of Jesus has already come has already lived among us has experienced what it is to be fully human and fully divine and Jesus still active like god is still active and at work in our world today um and we are waiting for the fully realized kingdom of god to come when jesus comes again yeah like it's all of those things all at once all the time yeah yeah because like our go ahead like our jewish brothers and sisters when they when they were expecting the messiah to come they expected everything to be made right all at once all at once you know and yes jesus set that into a trajectory but it's not here yet and so i think for us to realize that while the world is still very messed up while the, you know there's still sin in the world while we can look at the paper and news and everything and see all this brokenness to know and hope and expectation um that someday it will be made new yeah, yeah. Um, like sarah said we don't know when um but we have this promise that it's going to be made new and for me that kind of i I think about you know the parables that jesus talks about the end times you know like um if if you knew a thief was breaking into your house like of course you would stay up and you'd be ready Mm -hmm. you know but we don't know and so that constant like we don't know when jesus is coming back not as a sense of trying to like keep us in our place and make sure that we're behaving Mm -hmm. um but just a sense like okay, we need to keep working towards the kingdom until the kingdom can be fulfilled here on earth. It is in heaven. I was sitting in an airport years and years and years ago. I can't remember where I was going, Um, but I, I, it was, I was by myself. So I must've been going to some like church wide event or, or a youth gathering or something. And um, I was sitting in the, the, you know, uh, waiting area, this, this airport, uh, waiting for my flight. And there's a, a family nearby and another row of seats. And there's a little boy, um, looking out the, the, onto the tarmac, you know, and, um, he asks his dad, dad, is that our plane that, you know, there's one that's, you know, waiting to taxi or whatever. And dad, is that one our plane? And the dad goes, no, 
that's not our plane, buddy, but our plane is coming. And then, the, you know, dad moves on because this was not, he, the dad did not anticipate this to be a long conversation, but the kid's still pressing his face up against the glass. And I overheard him say to himself, because he wasn't talking to anybody else. He said to himself, this kid goes, my plane is coming. I know what my daddy told me. And it was like, for me, like, that's Advent. It's like this, okay, there's this promise. Why do I believe that there's a plane coming? I've been told by somebody that I trust. And I'm here in the airport and somebody that I trust says it's coming, but I'm not there yet. It's this one here in front of me is not my plane yet. Um, and it feels to me like the, the, with, without, without the, the dad to promise, all you've got is a sad, wishful thinking kid, you know, wondering, is my airplane ever going to come? And if all you have is the dad, but the plane never comes, you're letting the kid down because eventually that kid needs to get on an airplane with his family. Um, and to me, it feels like that, like all our lives mm -hmm. has lived in that airport waiting area of we've got this voice of Jesus saying, here, I'm with you. And it's begun. We wouldn't have our bags packed. We wouldn't have our tickets if it weren't going to happen. Um, but our plane isn't here yet. And that our job is here keeping our eyes open. And how do we take care of each other while we're waiting for that place? And that without one or the other of those, if we only have one or the other, something falls apart. And if Christianity is just wishful thinking without any belief that Jesus already set something into motion, man, there's, it, it, some days it feels like it's not worth you know hoping because it doesn't feel like the world's getting better. Um, and on the other hand, if all we have is Jesus came a long time ago and this is it, this is as good as it gets, then we're still left at, but the world still feels like a mess and I'm not on my plane. Um, but that, that, that tension for me is the holding both of those together and that all of us are that kid with our face pressed against the glass going, I know my plane is coming, daddy says so. That kid's like a high school graduate now. <laughs> That's happened so many years ago. That kid's all grown up now. But yeah, that is so beautiful, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus is coming again, we know, because God told us. Do you know that that line, I think it's an excerpt from a poem by Arundhati Roy that says, um, another world uh, is, is not only possible, she is already here on a quiet day, I can hear her breathing. Uh, I, I love that poem and that idea of the sureness of the new creation is coming. And if you're quiet now, you can hear it breathing. Um, but also the awareness that, man, it sure doesn't look like it yet. And let's not pretend, let's not try and make a silk purse out of a sow's ear or, you know, try and pretend that things are great. But to say we live in a world that feels broken in so many ways, mm -hmm. but broken doesn't get the last word. Healed gets the, the last word. New creation gets the last word. And that means this is a season for holding up that vision of, you know, swords beaten into plowshares and wolves and lambs lying down together and not treating it as wishful thinking, but to say, this is the trajectory where we're headed. We're called to now live in advance of that future. And the reason that we can look forward and celebrate and, and, and talk about that second coming, you know, the first half of Advent, talking about that second coming and that promise that we know God is going to keep is because he kept his first promise mm -hmm. to send Jesus in the first place. You know, so if he sent Jesus to begin with, then we know then someday he's going to send Jesus back. Sure. You know, and, and I think that I, I love the picture you're painting, Steve, with, with the little boy at the airport. I'm going to hold on to that for a while. Because <laughs> you know, I'm sure this kid has heard other promises from his dad, and so he knows that his dad can be believed. Yeah. And so now, when his dad says, "Yeah, our plane is coming," he's like, "Yeah, yeah, I said so. So it's going to happen." And and, and and that his dad keeps those promises, yeah. right? Like, yeah, my four year old has already learned that if he asks 
for something like, can we have a picnic outside? And I answer maybe instead of just yes or no. Like, I think I answered maybe once and he just like, he turned to his little brother and he said, that means it's not going to happen. <laughs> and he's four, right? right? So mm -hmm. like that little boy still knows and trusts that, yes, his dad promised this. Like he didn't say maybe, but he promised this and he keeps his promise. Yeah. And at the same time, as someone who has had to make promises to kids and has to be careful about what things I promise and what things I leave as the will see because I can't control some things in life and knowing I don't want to make a promise that I'm going to have to, you know, then, then back off on. I'm, I'm, I'm here to speak up for the parental maybe that that's an, an occasionally the appropriate response. But like the, the coming of Jesus, yes, is a promise kept, but also is not the way anybody anticipates. I mean, like nobody oh, pictures refugee baby in borrowed food trough as the one who heals the world. Um, and that part of what it is to be the people of God is to say that's keeping a promise, even if it doesn't look like what I expected it to be. And that the way Jesus saves the world isn't like what people were expecting either. And that doesn't mean that God was wrong or that God you know, pulled a bait and switch. Um, but to say God's way of doing things, God reserves the right not to do things the way we expect. And I think that that's an important piece of that tension as well. We're hopeful and there's this promise of new creation, but I don't get to be the architect of what it looks like, that it, it's going to turn out when we get to glory, there will be all kinds of things that surprise me. And if I'm overly woodenly literal about, it, but I was promised there'd be streets of gold, God reserves the right to go. That was an image. That was a metaphor, you dummy. <laughs> um, and I guess I think like that's a part of that. How we get better at hoping is to learn how do I let go of control? That I'm hoping for something that's been promised, but I don't get to dictate to God what that looks like when it comes or on my terms. It makes me think too. Uh, I don't. I don't think I've I've told you this uh, heartfelt story. Um, uh, when I was in um, on my internship in seminary, my internship supervisor used to wear bow ties a lot. Uh, he had come into this practice from a member of his congregation who wore bow ties with some regularity and it put, turned him onto this. Um, and what, what captivated my, my supervisor, who's something of a theologian in his own right, um, was the way that this congregation member had explained how you tie a bow tie. And it stayed with him and he said, I'm, I said, I'm a bow tie guy from now on. Um, and the, the way this congregation member explained it is he says, you take the end of the bow tie and you bring it through a loop that doesn't exist yet, but which comes into existence in the act of pulling it through. Um, and like in, in one fell swoop, my, my internship supervisor goes like, that's what Christian hope is like. It's this, you step into a future that doesn't exist yet. And the act of believing that it will, God brings it into existence. Um, and my goodness, I don't know a better way to do, uh, describe how to tie a bow tie. That is it, my friend. You pull up uh, the end through a loop that doesn't exist, but that comes into existence in the act of pulling it um and that like that's kind of how jesus coming works as well like we're people who step out into what looks like thin air and god brings a future out of it and I, I guess to me that that feels like that's what mary does as well when like she's like told you're gonna have a baby and no no solid plan for how you're gonna raise this kid and what is somebody else gonna think she steps into the future that god says will exist and it exists um that's scary, but to me, that feels like that's what makes hope more than just sentimental wishing. So whether it takes four weeks or seven weeks, that's that's the idea about what this season is, that playing with time and maybe intentionally as a way that's countercultural in a culture that wants to rush on to the next thing that we can make money off of to deliberately take the time 
uh, whether it's four candles worth or seven candles worth or 24 on a wagon wheel to use time differently uh, in this season. So we've got more weeks of Advent coming. So we hope you'll join us next time uh, here on our uh, series here on Advent and what it's all about here on Crazy Faith Talk. Zero. Bye. Yeah.